1: And I had an air stewardess watching the penalty shootout over me, and she said, oh, "I've always wanted to do this," and then ran back up uh, the other end of the plane. She just spoke over the loudspeaker and went, uh, "Football's coming home," and then <laughs> laughed to herself. Imagine, right? If he comes out with a serious surprise and switches to... Oh well, yeah, I was going
2: to bring this up as well because I don't think that is completely out of off the realms of possibility.
1: Wembley, London, Feyenoord Stadion, Rotterdam, New Camp, Barcelona, Luzinski, Moscow, Friends Arena, Stockholm, and Gdansk 2021. Five European trophies deck the corridors of Old Trafford. A sixth is possible. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is bidding to become the fourth manager to lift European silverware as manager of the club and adds to his personal collection the UEFA Europa League on top of the European Cup he won in added time back in 1999. It would be quite a story. It's Friday, just under a week until United take on Villarreal in Gdansk, Poland in the Europa League final. Before then, the Reds travel to Molyneux to play Wolves in the final Premier League game of the season and Villarreal play Real Madrid in the final La Liga game of the season. But both sides' sights are set firmly on Wednesday night instead. It would of course be the defining moment of both teams' seasons. For United, a sixth European trophy for Villarreal, the very first, and some fans will be in attendance too. May 26th is the date of the final and I think as soon as we discovered that would be the date, uh, I guess quite a few months ago now when we dropped down into the Europa League from the Champions League, everyone realised the could sig- possible significance of that day. It's a day with quite some meaning already, Matt Busby's birthday and in 1999 an already great day was embellished further by the most dramatic and perhaps most iconic victory in the club's history, only matched by Sir Matt's own European Cup glory 31 years prior to that. Ole scored the winner on that day to then win a trophy in Europe on the same day uh, 22 years later even if it's the second string competition would be so fantastic would it not?
2: It would be just an incredible way to to cap off I think what has been overall a very good season for United this has been a long time coming of course the last trophy we, we won was what three years ago now which is not even in the these sort of post Alex Ferguson times, still a, a drought that has been you know an anomaly. We we haven't gone this long without winning a trophy. I think since the is it the eighties. I think the last time we went this long without winning a trophy. Yeah. So it, it's it's been a long time coming, and it it would be a, a truly incredible way to cap off the season. I think it, the Europa League is always something of a strange competition because almost everyone in it at the start doesn't really want to be there, but then you soon forget why you're in the competition when it comes to actually going through and especially the later knockout rounds. And it begins to just feel like a European competition. yeah. And that comes with so much emotion, with so much history and with so much pride around winning it. I mean, you said it yourself in that introduction. From a broader perspective than this season, it would be huge. We've only won five European trophies in our entire history. You know, realistically, since sort of the, the mid 50s when European football sort of became a, a thing in the world or in, in Europe five times in all of those years in the interim, that shows you just how important, just how yeah. monumental this would be. It might not be the Champions League. And of course, that is still the pinnacle. It's still where we want to be. But that doesn't take anything away, I don't think, from, from what a huge moment this would be for the club and for the players.
1: Well, as a club, we are we have underperformed in Europe historically. 99 and 2008 were fantastic. Yeah. 2017 was a good moment, which was, I think, s- uh, to some extent, soured by the events that followed it in terms of Mourinho's time at the club ending in in gloomy scenarios. And, and 16, even that, was obviously I, 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 I view
2: that somewhat differently to this year because we were reliant on the Europa League yeah. for the Champions League. This is a, this is a different story.
1: Yeah, I th- and what you say about everyone going into the Europa League kind of not really wanting to be there I think that was definitely true a few years ago I think I think to, to some extent since we won it in 2017 I've viewed it differently and I think I've also viewed it differently because there's a competition I think it's really grown in terms of partly because bigger clubs have been in there if you think back to not just 2017 when we played Ajax in the final. Well, I mean this year as well. We've played some really good teams, but when we went out of it to Liverpool, it was United and Liverpool, England's two biggest clubs facing off in 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 it. Um, Arsenal were in there, Borussia Dortmund were in there. It was a, a kind of a star-studded lineup. It has taken on a new importance, partly because of Champions League qualification. But I guess that the difference with the Europa League is were we approaching a Champions League final everyone would be well aware that it would have the potential to be one of the greatest nights of their lives. And that's, that is just, that's the the brilliance of the Champions League is a level above, I think everything else in club football, just below that in terms of status and enjoyment and prestige is, is winning the title. And then I think the Europa League fits into that tier below of the FA Cup and the Europa League together and probably the League Cup just behind that. Uh I think I think the FA Cup and Europa League are probably on a, a similar level for me. But when you when you give the broader perspective as you have in terms of how many we've won, it does mean a little bit more. As for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and this set of players, it would be massive. I have Solskjaer's first trophy and I think this is the we've said it before, but I think it's worth pointing out again to see Solskjaer after having gone through quite a few difficult periods as United manager and there's no doubt about that and the start of this season up until early, mid-December was one of them. One of probably three now, possibly four difficult periods as United manager to see him holding a trophy, a piece of silverware on the anniversary of his greatest moment in a Manchester United shirt would... It's the stuff... It's it's such a beautiful footballing tale, and I think I think a part of me seem finds that a bit strange because big clubs like Manchester United, as much as we support them, don't have those tales quite as much as maybe small clubs. Certainly not in in the Europa League as well. But it would really be something pretty special.
2: Yeah, and I think the the point that I made before about the fact that we aren't relying on the Champions League this year. Sorry, we aren't relying on the Europa League this year to make it into the Champions League, to me, does change completely the atmosphere around this game. It changes completely the way I approach it as a fan because this is just all about the enjoyment of winning a trophy. You know, as much as winning a trophy is somewhat determinant for your future success and, and maybe where this team will go, this game doesn't define next season for us. It doesn't change which competitions we're playing in. Of course, winning a trophy changes, you know, maybe how the team moves moves forward Mentally, but this can be enjoyed for what it is, and what it is for me is an opportunity to do something truly special to win a European trophy and to bring that back to old Trafford and cap off what I think has actually been a really positive season as as a whole you know that and I, I feel like we have it's a bit more carefree this year obviously yeah. it's, it, a final is never going to be carefree it's so much riding on it, but it our, our future doesn't feel like it's dictated by this game. And this yeah. is the cherry on top of the cake, on top of the cake of a good season, rather than sort of, you know, finding a, a something in the wreckage of a very bad season, as it was back in 2017. And to me, that is important. Yeah,
1: you know, you're I, right. I agree if with the. I agree with the 2017 thing. I think it, I, I don't know. I'm not. I don't think it's a cherry on top. I think this is given the time Solskjaer's been in charge now. And as you mentioned earlier, the time we've gone without a trophy, it, not to win in Gdansk would take it to four years. I think because of that, I think also because of the semi-final defeats last year, the, the funny thing is had Solskjaer not got to those semi-finals, it probably wouldn't mean as much. If he'd gone out in a couple of quarterfinals, it probably wouldn't have mattered so much. But I think now people have questioned the United team's mentality. We obviously got through uh, against Rome in the semifinals in I mean, flying colors in the home leg, a little bit dodgy in the second leg, but that was not to be expected, but was to be accepted. I think it's it's massive to win that first trophy. And, and so many people talk about it and it can lend itself to cliches sometimes, but players all of this week have been talking about it possibly being the start of something and how desperate they are to win it. And I think it's because it's been such a long time and we've accepted it because we've been seeing progress in certain elements and the moments there have been moments where we haven't seen progress and it's looked very gloomy and, and down. But a first trophy would be massive for this team. For uh, there are players in, in this team who have won trophies, but quite a significant part of the core Harry Maguire, Dean Henderson, Aaron Wambasaka, Scott McTominay, Mason Greenwood. these are all players who haven't won things with Manchester United, and that that's kind of that, that's big,
2: yeah. Of course, it's big, and you know, there is. And stream of almost endless possibilities you you can imagine that would potentially come from us winning this. You are right that the first trophy for any team who's building is is so important in getting over the line and and increasing the belief, even subconsciously, the belief in the dressing room. And it makes you feel like you can go on to to bigger and better things. You know the, when it comes to, to situations where you really have to drill down and and win. And, and that seems like such a, a silly concept to save because football is all about winning. But there's a difference between winning and and yeah. moments where you have to win. And it's moments like this in finals, it's moments like in big games against Liverpool, City, Chelsea, whoever it might be, when you're fighting with for a title on the line, it's those sort of moments where you need you need to know that you're you're capable. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing that this Europa League final does. We obviously go in as quite heavy favourites, but finals are by their nature unpredictable they're often a great equaliser because both teams are dealing with the same nerves the same fears going into the game and I think in fact the the fact that we're playing another team in Villarreal who are not exactly used to being in finals themselves especially not European finals this being their first one I think you you, you might see the first 20 to 30 minutes of this game be particularly shaky
1: Yeah on the subject of Villarreal we're going to go to focus onto them in a second In terms, it feels more important or I'm more excited by this one than I was by Stockholm 2017, even though I, I won't be going to Gdansk and I think I, like a lot of people looked at it and the club offered a 200 pound subsidy for travel. But then when you added costs of uh, tests on day two, day five, day eight, et cetera, it was coming close to 200 pounds just on tests and all these confirmations and quarantining and and having to enter at specific times and having to leave quickly and things being closed meant, I think, I'm one of many who took the decision not to to bother. After we talk about Villarreal, we'll talk about who we want in our United team and we'll be watching the final. But yeah, let's switch the focus onto our opponents, Villarreal. We're joined by Football London journalist and Villarreal fan Jamie Kemble. Jamie, thanks for coming onto the show and uh, giving your insight on a team that you've adopted clearly as a as a Brit support in Villarreal. Can you first give us a bit of a an idea as to why and how you discovered Villarreal and became a supporter of the, the yellow submarine? Yeah,
0: sure. Um, so I went to Villarreal on a sort of special kind of school trip um, in two thousand and nine, two thousand eight, two thousand nine sort of got the opportunity to meet meet players and, and train with the coaching staff there and got to know the club and sort of developed a soft spot in there really. My sort of my hometown club was Cardiff and for many years wrote a book about them and covered them as well uh, and that was great and then sort of I moved away from Wales and yeah just sort of it, it became a bit natural and I'm, sort of, I'm moving to Spain in the next month or the month after July. Yeah I'm very close to Villarreal Day and, and uh Looking forward to sort of see more matches from, from much much closer.
1: Yeah. The the town itself, uh, where Villarella based, just outside Valencia. Um, can you tell us a bit, having visited there, a bit about the town itself? Obviously, United fans would be visiting there this time, have done in the past in the early two thousands, but what's it like as a as a place in terms of comparing to other Spanish cities? Yeah,
0: very very small. Obviously, it's not somewhere that will pop up on most people's um radar when visiting Spain or even even visiting Valencia there's always no, no sort of wouldn't necessarily go there unless it was football on I guess for many people. Um, but that's why you know this so special know fifty thousand people um who absolutely adore their, their football club and I don't know if you saw the sort of when when the semi final for the Arsenal game, um you know the town was was, was just come alive on it up and there's people on the balconies, you know, they couldn't go to the game just thousand people outside just on the streets welcome on the team bus. Um, the football club means everything to them. So, so it's a very small town. The sponsorship of the stadium is, you know, is named after sort of the La Ceramica, uh, pays pays homage to the, the ceramics business businesses that that sort of um, keep the town afloat, keep the town sort of thriving. Um, and yeah, so it's a very very close close knit community um, and one that really loves this club and one that is a a club that and a village that has really surpassed uh, where it should be.
1: Yeah, and and the comparisons will be made to Manchester United in terms of the size of the club but also I guess between a small town as you say and a one club town or city and Manchester a kind of massive hub of industry in the past and, and still a massive city now with two major football clubs and I guess that that contrast is kind of uh, a lot of what we need to know but it seems like a, it seems as if Villareil's a, a family club and um quite unique I guess in that respect in reaching a major European final for what I guess is, is probably the biggest game some people have said in, in the club's history
0: Yeah absolutely absolutely it is, this sort of, it is the biggest biggest game in the club's history no doubt about that um, first major final um, and you know like you said it's, it's, it's really incomparable the town of Real to, to Manchester just, there's just no comparison at all and that's, all, that's what's beautiful about football isn't it we see sometimes these these stories of, of clubs from towns that have Sort of performed much beyond where they should be, and you know, Villarreal have Fernando Roch to thank for that. The owner came in in sort of 1997 um, and has run the club just brilliantly. You know, he's kept it every bit of the community club that it was before he took over. Even though you know, when he took over, it's, it's a club that was nowhere near the sort of heights of La Liga, um, and now they are now now obviously Villarreal are competing top six every year. being in you know, highest to finish as second. Uh, being the Champions League, of course, reached the same final of that competition and now finally a major competition, final, and a European competition final. So, um, yeah, I think we certainly have Fernando Rocha to thank for that because obviously, as we've seen it, uh, especially recently, some owners of <laughs> clubs and do different things with them and take them away from their people, away from the community. I know you know a lot about that as well. So, um, yeah, so Rocha done just an amazing job and he's kept it so close to the fans you know it's run along with the fans um, for the fans and, and that's sort of I guess every fan's dream at the moment in particularly with uh, with what's going on yeah, recently it
1: feels as if uh, with United in the final this obviously wouldn't be the case but were United not playing in this final I think there would be a vast majority of United fans would be wanting and, and urging Villarreal on if they were playing anyone but us because a small but successful club with good ownership is kind of what we all want to see succeed in football. But in terms yeah. of the, the team itself, uh, United will go in as favorites as kind of uh, we generally do, um, in the Europa League, but Villarreal have a, a strong side. And I think from my relatively uninformed standpoint, having only watched them a couple of times this season, but Paul Torres, the centre back and Gerard Moreno, the leading goal scorer and has contributed not just in goals, but assists as well. Uh probably the, the two standout players in what's a pretty pretty good squad and and well organized by O'Neill as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's a fair point. Um has got thirty nine goal contributions in forty four games this season. That's obviously a brilliant record. <laughs> he's got thirteen goals in his last sixteen. So uh, he really is obviously one of the <clears throat> one of the hottest strikers in Europe at the moment, second top scorer in the league, and I think he's one goal behind the top scorer in in Europa League as well so yeah brilliant talent he um, never really catches the eye in terms of in terms of style he always looks a little bit clumsy on the ball kind of thing but that works in his favour he just always seems to have the ball under his spell even if he doesn't look like um, which makes him a really difficult player to, to deal with um, and he'll start he probably start for, in Euros for Spain this summer and the same goes for, for Paul Torres obviously I know you guys know a lot about him given the fact that he's strongly linked with United as well uh, brilliant young centre back and he's got a a good mentor alongside him in well, Raul all. Um, and yeah, like you said, we've got weapons elsewhere. I think Samuel Chagres is going to miss out with injury, which is a real shame. Uh, but Pac Walker, fair players like that, Manzureros, Danny Parejo is, is a really good squad. Um, and like you alluded to the end of question, the Guaymey is a brilliant manager who knows what it takes in this competition to win it. Yeah. Um, and when when you look at you know I think like you said that the United are favourites. You look at the two squads, but if you looked at two benches, I think you probably just put United are favourites. With the Emery faff and the experience he has over Solskjaer. so it's uh, certainly going to be an interesting sort of matchup.
1: Yeah, and and Emery his his reputation in England is scarred by having to go in at Arsenal and replace Arsene Wenger, which was going to be an insurmountable challenge for pretty much anyone. In the same way that Moy's struggled at United post Ferguson. He, I guess, also a little bit scarred by his time at PSG, but when you look back at that now and you see he won, I think it was two domestic trebles, maybe quadruples at PSG, having had so much success in the, in Europe with Severe as well. Um, he managed to find Mata at Valencia and I heard Mata talking about him this week and, and how he manages to get a squad so organized and, and well drilled. Is that what we can expect from Villarreal, a very well organized team who, know their I guess know their th- that they're not favourites going into the final what kind of style of play can we expect in the final
0: yeah I mean the sort of style of play hasn't really been hasn't really been compromising I mean there was a sort of change on the weekend um, against Sevilla we was, was sort of had a couple of players out and um, Carlos had come in um, who would not usually start given his age but at he scored a hat-trick <laughs> yeah, yeah Sevilla away with a 4-0 win so um yeah, he's just a very, he's a very clever manager tactically, um, and I think the first leg probably said it all against Arsenal, like you said, he gets a hard time with Arsenal fans, but um, he's sported a lot of fans in the build-up to the last last round, and to be fair, he did an okay job with Arsenal, you know, he got them within, I think, a point of the top four, and that's something they'd probably dream of at this point, given where, where they've gone since Emery left. Um but yeah, he's just such a t- he's just a clever manager I said, like said you said, going back to that first leg and he makes a defensive change at half time in the first leg and and it he almost made him look bad because Arsenal ends up getting a bit of a joke of a penalty um, and ended 2-1 but in in you know realistically the change was 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 a masterclass because you know in any other game and with with a decent refereeing decision would have left it 2-0 2 nil from the first leg having limited Arsenal to basically you know zero shots was good chances, and then they go to the go in the second leg, and you know we expect Arsenal didn't really go after it as much as they should. That's granted, but really, Al put on a, a really really good defensive performance in the second half. Lost lost better sort of best wide threat in Samuel really. Um had one fight out, which was a big blow, and still just completely limited Arsenal to nothing. Um, so you know that tells a little bit about sort of the Nelson he has, especially in, you know in these competitions. I think. The fact is that he hasn't lost a two-legged Europa League tie in his career. I think that's, <laughs> I think that's correct. Um, obviously, he's lost a final with Arsenal. Just, um, something we don't want to repeat this week. But it tells you a little bit how how good he's at managing these sort of knockout ties. These ties with a lot of riding on them. Um, and you know, like I said, going into Wednesday, um, with with no disrespect to Solskjaer, you know, you'd, I think I'd rather have Emery in my corner.
1: Well, five European finals is some achievement. And yeah, I think everyone will remember the, the Arsenal defeat in Baku, but to win four of them is is nevertheless very impressive. To kind of sum up, what would you expect to see on the streets of, around La Ceramica, if Villarreal, obviously there'll be some travelling fans, but the majority of them will be uh, back home. What, what do you think we'd see if Villarreal were to cause the upset and beat Manchester United?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Celebration and, you know, like uh, I don't know if you saw the videos. I'd recommend watching it if someone wants to sort of flavour and some colour about the, the community and the club. Just um, the, the welcoming of the bus in the first leg against Arsenal. There were, you know, hundreds and thousands of fans lying in the streets. Even well before, hours before a game, everyone was sort of on their balconies with flags and things. And that's just, you know, before a game. And that, you know, I've been waiting a long time to win a trophy. Um, it's... You know, it's no bad reflection on the club that we haven't yet, given given where we've come from the last sort of 20 years. Um, but it still felt like a long wait for a trophy. So that if they can go and do it, you would see sort of you would see carnival celebrations, with not no doubt at all. Um, and you just hope that sort of um, allowing, uh, you know, you'd expect sort of open, open busker and things. And like I said, it's the, the the nature of the community is that, I mean, I guess with a club like United, you know, as much as as much as it's important to the community of Manchester, you, you always feel a million miles away from the players and, and that sort of thing. Um, this this is very different. You know, the players aren't they? They are you know, treated like gods, if you like, but they're not. They're not a million miles away from the people. You, you'll see them. You'll see them now and again. A lot of these players, I think, it's six players have come through through the academy that are in the first team squad now. You got Paul Torres was there since he was five. You know, so these players aren't necessarily. You know, going to be put on a stage away from the fans. They'll celebrate with the fans, if you know what I mean. That's something we don't really yeah. see with, with other clubs in bigger bigger cities. So, yeah, every, it's like every one of these players in the squad feels like feels like one of their own. So, yeah, it'd be brilliant to see the celebrations if if it did come off. Um, and, and I think you'd appreciate quite how close the squad is to and the squad and the club is to the community.
1: Yeah, it would. Just hope it's not this year. Um, i tell you what, what, a, <laughs> what a nice thing is, is that you saying that has, as made me think about United's academy players. And it's nice to know that either way, whatever the way the result goes, there will be players local to the club who have been there since they were five or six. So with Paul Torres for Villareal, but also, uh, Mason Greenwood, Rashford, McTominay, at Manchester United, um, among a few others lifting a major European trophy is it's nice to know that on either side of the coin there that that payment to tradition remains at, at both clubs. And it's I mean it especially you mentioned earlier about the European Super League and it's in, in that light it's even nicer I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a good point actually.
1: Well, thank you, Jamie for coming on the show. Um I'll I'll leave you to it but may the may the best team win on Wednesday night. Enjoy the Yeah, game. absolutely
0: enjoy the game. I'd say good luck, but you know, you gotta do what you gotta do.
1: <laughs> Jack, as Jamie said in that, Fillarello a good squad with a manager who knows how to win this competition and has the evidence to back that up. It his severe team. It just became it became very repetitive. Severe winning three Europa leagues in in four years, and it was a time when Spanish football was dominating the European competition, Real Madrid and. Barcelona winning the Champions League as well. But I mean, this Villarreal team is, as I said in in that chat with Jamie, they seem like a lovely family club and it's a shame that we have to be the ones to beat them. Um, in any other year, you'd be wishing them well in the final, whereas this year that, that obviously won't be happening. They're, they've got a decent team. Pau Torres is a good centre-back and as Jamie also said, linked heavily with a Premier League move, whether that's United or someone else, we'll see. But I think the real problem against this side is isn't scoring against Villarreal, isn't coping against a centre-back of the quality of of Torres. The real problem's at the other end and we're recording on Friday and earlier today, quotes from Olegan Gunnar came out saying he he doesn't expect Harry Maguire to be fit. It seems pretty certain. He'll be absent. He'll be given as as much time as possible to show he's recovered, but it it seems unlikely. It's a great shame for him personally, but more importantly for the team who's going to struggle without him and Villarreal's main man, Gerard Moreno, unorthodox, Jamie called him, and just in La Liga this season, he's scored 23, assisted eight, only a couple of Spaniards, uh, two of whom are David Villa and Raul, have made more goal contributions in one league season in Spain. And Unorthodox is exactly the kind of player United has struggled to cope with, with Lindelof and whoever he's partnered with.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Gerard Moreno's a, a very fine player; who poses a really big threat. I think, and as you said, we're definitely not particularly well equipped. I don't think at dealing with unorthodox players. I think the one good thing about facing Villarreal and in terms of us dealing with them at the back is that Moreno is by far and away their main goal threat. You know, I think their next top scorer after Moreno has something like six goals for the season. So the the focus will certainly be on him. But, I mean, without Maguire, it's a massive loss. It is a massive, massive loss. We, we said in the last episode after the Fulham game just how much the defence has looked weak since Maguire has gone on off injured. And I think it's a really serious worry for us yeah. not... Not only because Maguire himself is a good player, but because of the effect I think that he has on everyone around him. I think he marshals the back four really well. His leadership, especially in a final, would be really important. And also, as we spoke about in the last episode, it's not as if there are two players sort of really fighting hammer and uh, hammer and tongs to take up that next position, making the decision really hard because they're both playing really well. The decision is very difficult because they're they're <laughs> yeah. both not inspiring too much confidence. Twins A B and B at the moment are not. Uh, you know, not playing at their best, despite the fact we know that they are both, can be quality defenders. And that, I mean, it is a serious worry, the idea of Lindelof and let's say it's Baye going into a European final. that That is a, a partnership that gives me some worries.
1: Yeah. I, I, let, before we go on to pick the team, I was just near the end of that chat with Jamie, I was talking about academy players and Villarreal have a, a few of their own, but it reminds me of 2017 in Stockholm and there's, I've got a picture I think on my wall, or at least I used to, of, uh, Marcus Rashford and Jesse Lingard, and they're running towards the United fans in that blue away kit from that season, holding the Europa League trophy. And that is, that's one of the, the lovely memories of 2017, as well as, um, Zlatan by who else was there? Ashley Young and Luke Shaw, who are all on crutches on the touchline. Four players on crutches on the touchline in their uh, United suits running onto the pitch at the end. It was just, there. I, I mean, yeah, there's some great memories of that, but it made me think towards this year and the potential of winning with, as I mentioned earlier, Mason Greenwood, Rashford again, Scott McTominay. For Luke Shaw, I, I guess it's massive personally as well, having missed the final in 2017, having been uh, named player's player of the season, Bruno Fernandes named fans player of the season, but for, for sure it'd be massive as well. There's there's lots of storylines like that inside this United squad, even though there were uh, players who played in that 2017 final. But it's so, I mean, we kind of spoke about this before, but to go back to the the potential joys of Wednesday night, they, they really, it'd be amazing seeing Mason Greenwood and McTominay, I think particularly for me, lifting a, a trophy with United.
2: Yeah. As you said, go back to 2017. It was the first big trophy for a lot of the the younger academy players that come through at United in the preceding couple of years and it was a, a great moment to see them sort of fulfill that lifelong dream and it'll be the same with this crop of players I think that's what makes this final even better even more exciting is just the fact that I feel so connected to this group of players in a way that I haven't for a number of years at United. And not only would it be a, a, an amazing thing to watch for United to win, purely, obviously, because we want United to win, but I, I would take genuine joy and, and pride from seeing those specific group of players lifting the trophy. You no, know, I, I I didn't quite feel that same connection a few years ago, and I think that makes this feel even bigger, even better, even potentially even more exciting for us as fans. The likes of Scott McTominay, Mason Greenwood, just to name a couple of players that haven't been at United to win trophies before. You mentioned before about Maguire, Wambasaka Henderson. You know, these are the kind of players that I, I now feel so much more invested in yeah. than I ever did with a, a, a lot of the group of players that were at United when we last won a trophy and, and that to me it, it really elevates how exciting this moment could be
1: yeah all right let's rattle through some, some team selection uh, problems and conundrums that Solskjaer will have to face first of all in, in well one word or you might actually need two for this because of the nature of the players involved but Henderson or De Gea to start
2: I would go Henderson
1: ah oh, see I'd go De Gea you see, normally I'd I'd be very up for. Uh, I I don't mind managers kind of being ruthless and bringing their better or number one goalkeeper in for the final, even though if the cup run's been different. But the hey, it's good enough to uh, play in this game. The only consideration, I guess, is Henderson being a bit more proactive and and fit with United having a slightly worse defense without Maguire someone might be needed to come and claim crosses but I'd go with De Gea wan will obviously start uh, right back, Lindelof will obviously start or I very much expect will start, no Maguire Twanzebe or bye
2: it, it is a really hard decision I think I would play both of them at Wolves and whoever seems to be playing better I would start against uh, Villarreal yeah. if you had to ask me right now I'd go by.
1: Imagine, right, if he comes out with a serious surprise and switches to a thing. Well, three yeah, I was
2: going to bring this up as well because I don't think that is completely out of
1: pos- the realms of possibility. I, I the, had <laughs> the only reason I think it's possible, and because for, for the second half of the season at least, he's very rarely swapped things around purely because. There, there kind of hasn't been any time to work on things on the training ground, but there is a bit of me that thinks the problem is you then sacrifice a bit in attack. The good thing is you, I'd stick McTominay into that defense and. I mean, it's, uses, he plays there for Scotland. Yeah. And use his physical attributes to help Lindelof to mean that Aaron wan gets less exposed at the back post. Um, and then you'd probably play, I don't know, you'd, you'd obviously still play Lindelof, but then I'm not sure which one of, of Axel or Bailly to that, play.
2: That might allow you, if you, especially if you played McTominay in a back three, it might then allow you to, allow you to play Pogba yeah. in a slightly deeper midfield role knowing you have a bit more protection behind him as well.
1: Yeah, just running with that, then what What would the rest of the team be? Then you'd have uh, a midfield of Pogba and... So you're saying you'd
2: have a back three of Lindelof, McTominay and let's say Baye for now.
1: Yeah, then I guess you'd have a, a, a midfield two of Pogba and Fred with... How many players decided? Sure, Wan Bissaka at wing three? back. Three, yeah, and then. So
2: then you got three. So then you got three more players. So it's either.
1: That's the only problem because then you've got to think: where does Bruno Fernandez go?
2: Yeah, so I, I think the, the dilemma there is: do you go Bruno at ten and then do sort of the split strikers that we've seen Solskjaer do before, which I'm assuming would probably be Green, uh, sorry, Cavani and Rashford, or do you go yeah. more? Let's just go all out on width and play a three-four-three three and stick Bruno. On the team sheet, at least on one of the wings, with Rashford on the opposite side and Cavani through the middle, or
1: or or you put Podber as a proper left winger, yeah, and uh, Bruno in midfield with ten uh, with Fred, sorry, but obviously kind of not really playing as a central midfielder. But I mean, given that Bruno drops deep in big games anyway, not like, he just he seems to uh, not I I would assume it's his own personal. Kind of characteristic of his, he just does drop deep in in big games anyway. So it's uh, and then you could have Bruno and Popper swapping around a lot. It's definitely interesting. I I probably don't think it will happen, but it's it's an intriguing one. I, it would also give the option if you don't play, if you go with the two strikers, as you say, Cavani and Rashford, you can then very easily switch things quite significantly by bringing Mason on, yeah, and for one of the midfielders, and suddenly you're you're to a four at the back and and you've, you've completely shaken up your attack which is an interesting idea whereas if the other way around and is Mc, a lot McTominay's, more McTominay's
2: McTominay's role in that as well the fact that he does play that role for Scotland does mean that if you effectively you could play the two completely different systems with the same 11 on the pitch yeah. because you wouldn't need because McTominay can do both i think it makes it okay the uh, I mean, I definitely still think four at the back is the most likely, but I do think that there is a chance this could happen. I think it, it does make some sense given the players that we have available. And if we're saying that defense is our biggest weakness at the moment, I think it, it helps sort of, sort of shore yeah. that up. My one concern with playing three at the back is that it puts a lot on the shoulders of Victor Lindelof, I think, because playing three at the back, especially if you're the the central centre-back, which I assume Lindelof would be, you have a lot of responsibility on your shoulders to organise what's around you. And this is just from an outside perspective, (laughs) Lindelof has never seemed like that player you know, Maguire is always seen as the one who is doing sort of the leading and the organizing. You know, we we don't know if that is actually the case, but at least from from what we know and what we see, it doesn't seem like that is a role that comes completely naturally to Lindelof. It is a role that does come more naturally to McTominay, I think. But obviously, given that he has much less experience at centre back, you'd imagine Lindelof would be the one having to do that. And I don't know if I, I don't know how if that would be put too much on a player that isn't known for his leadership and his organisation.
1: Yeah. It would be fun to watch Ole spring a surprise. Though. He's
2: going down the, the Guardiola route of over, <laughs> over-complicating in, in big games.
1: Yeah, that's the only problem. But I, I, I mean, Jamie was saying that Unai Emery would certainly spring a surprise. And I was listening to an interview with Guamata, uh yesterday in which he said a similar thing. So it'd be an interesting battle of, of the surprises. Yeah, I'm also interested to see if if Baye plays. I mean, I don't think it's unfair to call Eric Bay a clumsy player and Jamie called Gerard Moreno an unorthodox clumsy player to see the battle of two clumsy players going to each other, both of whom we know can produce brilliant moments. And I don't know about Gerard Moreno, but uh, certainly for Eric Bay also moments of utter despair and surprise and bewilderment. Um, but seeing those two go against each other would, would be interesting. It's it, In terms of Mason Greenwood, it's very difficult to leave him out, but he's a better sub than Marcus Rashford. Rashford isn't a good sub. So I think that probably makes Solskjaer's decision for him.
2: Yeah, I I was trying to rack my brains before we started recording about a way that you could get both Greenwood and Rashford in the team without compromising somewhere else. And I just don't think there is. I don't think there's a way you could play them on both wings because then you'd end up with... Uh, Pogba with a back four as, as one of the two deeper midfielders and I don't think in a final that is a way that we yeah. want to go. I, I just don't see a way that you can get them both in no. unless you drop Cavani, which I also don't think and don't want to happen.
1: I'm I'm getting more and more convinced by the, the three three what five two. Well it'd kind of be a three, three four three. Yeah, th- yeah, three four three, I guess it'd be more like yeah, I've, I've, I think I've convinced myself, but I don't expect it to happen <laughs> I think maybe if, if there'd be more preparation time, it, it might be a possibility, but I just think there's not been enough time on the training ground to have the confidence to be going into that yeah. final. Um, we should we should wrap up. Where are you going to be watching the game?
2: Well, so I'm actually flying from back from the, the US to the UK about three hours after the game ends. So I'll probably nah. be watching it at home, packing, with, a, with a, uh, my girlfriend and a couple of friends. And then it'll be straight to the airport, and whatever the result, get in a lounge and, and get hammered, probably, either in celebration <laughs> or, or commiseration.
1: You've got to hope not for extra time. To be fair, I was in, um, I was in Amsterdam airport in 2018 during the World Cup when, for the England colombia game. And because uh, obviously that went to extra time and then penalties. And we were sitting in the lounge, and it was, it was actually, there was no bars showing it unlike when we'd flown out to somewhere else a couple of weeks before they'd been showing or a week before or so they'd been showing England against Sweden in the in the Witherspoons in Gatwick but Amsterdam airport, no bars showing it, no bars open but there was just a, a random screen just set up like a living room with a set of benches in front of it <laughs> showing the game and for, for what reason I've got no idea and how I've got no idea but anyway they were showing it and we sat there and watched it um And it was a ridiculously tense game inside the airport. And our flight was scheduled for, I think, for kind of 85 minutes into the game. Anyway, the f- flight gets delayed, which is great news, especially because it went to extra time. And then no one wins in extra time either. And suddenly we get this call to go to board at the end of extra time. And so we're queuing up in kind of with five minutes of extra time remaining, queuing up to uh, get on the plane. As we're stepping onto the plane, the penalty shootout starts. And so we're, we're, the penalty shootout has to fit in before the plane takes off. Now, the plane's obviously delayed. So they're trying to take off as quickly as possible rather than kind of faffing about as they might normally do. And so we've got this incredibly tense situation, not just in the football, but also whether we're going to get to see it or not. <laughs> just before we take off, Eric Dyer scores the winning penalty. And I had an air shudder watching the penalty shootout over me. I think we must be we were in English airline. I think it must be an easy jet or something and she said oh I've always wanted to do this and then ran back up uh the other end of the plane and did the, the typically english thing of saying um she just just spoke over the loudspeaker and went um I hope everyone's pleased to hear this uh football's coming home and then laughed after <laughs> herself um so we had a, yeah we had a good time on the flight back with kind of I think a predominantly english flight and there were a couple of very unhappy dutch people um, because they're not a fan of the, the English fans' arrogance, which I think is probably fair enough, but we've enjoyed ourselves nevertheless. So that yeah, we're getting a very ready long... for all
2: of that was, as the Euros come around this summer yeah. as well. will be a, a summer yeah. of, of outdoors every day in the pub. I know, yeah.
1: Um, yeah, I'll be watching this one in uh, in Deansgate in Manchester. I, did, I really wanted to go to dance because I haven't done a European final before, but just it just wasn't quite right. I know, I know loads of people as well who have done every uh, European final since Rotterdam. So Rotterdam 91, Barcelona 99, Moscow 2008, Rome 2009, Wembley 2011, yeah. Stockholm 2017. And this is, so they've done, what's that, six? And this is would have been their seventh. There's so many people who aren't able to go this time, which is a, a yeah. real shame. But yeah, I'll be watching in it's a, a massive in shame. A pub in Deezergate with my brother. I think Manchester, the central Manchester, I was trying to book somewhere, it absolutely rammed everywhere, Yeah, uh, fully booked almost everywhere. So just managed to get a spot in a pub in Deansgate, so that should be fun hopefully we're not let down yeah. right we'll uh, yeah we'll maybe if, I, if on yeah. the
2: day uh, it looks like I've got enough time I'll probably go to try and go to the Man United Chicago support nice. bar here and uh, get some beers at the pub before going to the airport
1: yeah you need to pack early take your bags with you and stop off uh, yeah exactly yeah. exactly yeah um, right thank you very much for listening everyone let us know where you're watching the game um, let us know your predictions obviously there is Wolves to come you might be listening to this before or after that uh, we're recording on Friday and, and releasing too thank you to Jamie the Villarreal the Welsh Villarreal fan for coming onto the show and um, have a great week everyone hopefully a win against Wolves even if it doesn't matter a huge amount and uh, even more hope for winning Gdańsk for what would be a uh, a special night, I think it's fair to say. For Jack's reaction um, from Chicago and then from the the United Kingdom, you can follow him on Twitter at at t a i t, and you can find me on Twitter at HarryRobinson64, and the podcast itself at utd weekly pod. That's p o d at the end there. Right, onwards to Gdańsk. Goodbye.